Well, we've come to the last episode in the Heart Awareness series, and we're actually going to recap, bring it all the way back to how you identify these things before they become a problem. Stay tuned. You're listening to The Purple Stethoscope. I am your host, Devin Nixon, family nurse practitioner. None of the information in this podcast is sufficient nor intended to diagnose your personal medical issue, but there's a lot to learn, so let's start the show. If you listened last week, you met my mom, who is also living with heart failure. And we talked a little bit about her journey. We talked a little bit about her going uh, to doctors early on and not being properly diagnosed until much later. I was getting feedback about that episode in particular, and a very good question was asked. What are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do when we're having these symptoms, we're going to doctors, and we're not being told anything that's helpful, we're not being diagnosed with anything chronic, and then we start to actually doubt or question ourselves. I want to give a little backstory that me and my mom did not touch on. Uh, My mom was 40, in her late 40s, she said, when she first started having symptoms. She was a Navy wife. My dad was active duty and went on deployments often, and she had five children. What would you think if a woman in her 40s with five kids and a husband who was out to sea or overseas came in and said they were tired? You might think, uh, yeah, I'm tired just listening to you. Now, what if that same person came in and said that they were tired, that they became easily exhausted or fatigued doing regular things like getting dressed and that her mother died at age 57 of sudden cardiac death, and that their sister died at age 36, also from sudden cardiac death, complications of pulmonary hypertension. Then your ears might perk up a little bit and go, you know what, at the very least, we need to screen this lady for anything heart-related. We'll do an echocardiogram, which is an ultrasound of your heart, maybe a stress test, and uh, maybe even have her do a sleep study to make sure she doesn't have sleep apnea or something to that effect. I'm going to give you guys four points, four things to end this series on that you can do to prevent um, the diseases that we've talked about up to this point, being heart diseases, heart failure, um, things, uh, hypertension. Number one is established care. Number two is go to your new patient appointment armed with your family medical history. Number three is ask for screening tests. And number four, follow up. Let's start with number one, establishing care. You know, emergency departments and urgent cares, their job is to rule out anything serious or life-threatening and then return you to your primary care provider for follow-up. They don't diagnose chronic illnesses. They don't specialize in disease management. Their job is to make sure you don't have a life-threatening picture and then have you follow up with primary care. 
I'm going to say that again because I think it's human nature for people who um, don't understand the healthcare system to go to the ER when they're worried that something's wrong. The job of the ER is to rule out a life-threatening illness or disease and then return your care to your primary care provider. If they can't immediately rule you out for something serious, sometimes they'll admit you to the hospital while they run more tests, but their main job is to say, hey, is it safe for this person to schedule an appointment in two weeks um, and then follow up then, or do they need attention right now? So that's the first thing. Think of your primary care provider like your dispatcher. Uh, They're the ones who are going to forward the calls to all the right people. What do I mean by that? I mean, if you have a family history of rheumatoid arthritis and you're showing signs and symptoms of rheumatoid arthritis, it's your primary care provider who's going to make the referral to a rheumatologist. If you have a strong family history of thyroid dysfunction, It's your primary care provider who's going to make the referral to the endocrinologist. If you um, don't have any strong family history of anything, say your parents and grandparents live to ripe old ages, it's your primary care provider that's going to make sure that you have your immunizations, that your vision is being screened, um, that you're doing all the preventative measures to prevent disease from occurring, okay? So the number one thing, you guys, is to have a primary care practitioner. That can be a physician. It can be a nurse practitioner like myself. It can be a physician assistant. It can be a naturopath. It needs to be someone that you're comfortable talking to and working with. You don't want to have a provider that you're so intimidated by that you know you may not speak up in a situation that calls for you to speak up. That's not a good relationship when it comes to your health. So you want to make sure that you find somebody that you like and that you feel comfortable talking with. And that can take multiple tries. Um, it can be frustrating because you're having to make the time and pay the copay and go in. Um, but it's very much worth it. Guys, I don't feel very good today, so I'm recording um, through a really bad head cold, <laughs> so bear with me. The number two thing is to be armed with your family medical history. If you're driving, just keep driving. If you're not driving, get out a piece of paper and an ink pen or a pencil. If you are driving, remember seven minutes. It's seven minutes into the episode that we are doing this. Um, To know your family history and what's pertinent, you're going to look at your first degree relatives. Your first degree relatives are your mother, father, sisters, and brothers. Mother, father, sisters, and brothers. If you're really young, let's just say you're 20, and let's make your mom 45 and healthy, you may want to look at your grandparents or your great aunts and great uncles. Write down All the diseases that you know of, that your mom had, that your dad had, that your siblings had. This is going to shed light on number three, which is screening tests, what you need to be screened for. So I'll start with myself. My dad had diabetes and hypertension. 
that progressed into kidney disease. He had a stroke. He had a heart attack. He had a wound on his foot that, like with many diabetics, was very difficult to heal. And he ultimately died from sepsis or an infection in his bloodstream. All right, so that's dad. Mom, heart failure, um, aortic dissection, and kidney disease, which was secondary to, you know, the treatment for her heart failure, heart failure meds. Heart failure is usually precipitated by something like hypertension or coronary artery disease, um, In my mom's case, it's unknown what precipitated her heart failure, but she does have a family history of pulmonary hypertension and has some pulmonary hypertension herself. So I put all that down for mom, okay? Heart failure, aortic dissection, uh, pulmonary hypertension. I go to my siblings. Um, I have three living. I'm the fourth of five kids. Um, between my brothers, there is sleep apnea, hypertension, and an arrhythmia, heart rhythm issue. And for my sister, depression and suicide. And we do include mental health diagnoses um, in this, you know, family health history because people who have a first degree relative who died from suicide are at a much increased risk of struggling uh, with suicidal ideation themselves. So now that I have my family history together, I'm looking for trends and I'm looking for um, themes. And the themes that I can identify are hypertension and um, what we in the medical community call end organ damage. Um, So end organ damage is what happens when you have an issue like hypertension for a really long time and it's never treated and then your kidneys become damaged or your heart becomes enlarged and fails. So um, those are the things that I have on my list. When I think about screening, how do you screen for hypertension? I'm going to start to sound like a broken record. You get yourself a blood pressure cuff. It's an investment, and it's one of the best investments we can make as a community because hypertension runs higher in our community. It's more prevalent in our community. So if one person has a blood pressure cuff and everybody's getting together to go to auntie's house for Thanksgiving, guess what you can do? I know you could be like me, be the uh, the Debbie Downer of the whole situation, but it doesn't have to be that way. Say, hey, y'all, you know, let's check our blood pressure while we're all here together. Let's hold each other accountable. Those of us who have numbers that are outside of the range that we're following up and getting attention for this. <clears throat> um, so the screening for me is blood pressure. And guess what? I did get screened for high blood pressure. And guess what? I have it. And I take medication for it every single day. And I am seen um, by my primary care provider regularly for lab work and to make sure that I still need the medication and I'm tolerating it. Okay. All right. So, um, If you have a family history of thyroid dysfunction, then the screening tests you might want are thyroid labs, maybe even an ultrasound of your thyroid. 
and making sure that you don't have the same kind of picture that your family member who suffered from a disease in that organ has. If you have rheumatoid arthritis in your family and you're starting to show signs and symptoms of rheumatoid arthritis, it's your primary care provider who's going to order the screening labs, the rheumatoid factor, um, the lab work that kind of helps rule in or rule out. And there, it's also going to be your primary care provider who will uh, refer you to a rheumatologist if need be. Screening tests. Let me think. Let me think. If you're somebody who has a very strong family history of heart failure like I do, you should have an ultrasound of your heart. It's called an echocardiogram. I get echocardiograms every two years because I have such a strong family history of uh, pulmonary hypertension and heart failure. And uh, I'm young. I haven't hit 40 yet, guys. So I'm not talking. This isn't just for like people who are 50 and 60. I'm talking about Young people who have early disease in their families. These are our steps. Established care. Come armed to your appointment with your family medical history, which might require making some phone calls. It may require picking up the phone, talking to your siblings, talking to your parents. You know, try finding the oldest person alive in your family and asking them what this person and that person passed away from. And then again, asking for screening tests. So screening test is kind of a hard one. But I think for black people in particular, we need to know what screening tests to ask for. Um, it can often feel like we're being rushed or it can feel like the providers are not comfortable with us. And so they may want to just do what they have to do and get out. Um, ask for what you want. You didn't go to medical school. How are you supposed to know what you want? I'm so glad you asked. Go to Google and put screening tests for or screening for and enter the name of the disease that runs in your family. I'm going to actually try that because I don't know. This is just sounds good in my head, but let me see if this is going to work. So I have a strong family history of hypertension, so I'm going to... I'm going to put in screening for hypertension. All right, and see what comes up. Mayo Clinic is a good uh, place to look. Cleveland Clinic is good. A lot of stuff will pop up, and it's kind of hard to know what to um, <clears throat> actually look at. And then there's stuff coming up from NIH.gov, which is good, but is also, I think, maybe... A little advanced. So the first thing that comes up is a final recommendation statement, high blood pressure in adults. And it says persons at increased risk include those that have high normal blood pressure, 130 to 139 over 85 to 89. Those who are overweight or obese and African-American. So I know I need to get screened for that by getting my blood pressure taken and maybe taking it routinely. Um, if you do invest in a blood pressure cuff, take your blood pressure around the same time of day, a couple times a week for a few weeks, and then take that in with you to your primary care provider. They'll look at those numbers and decide whether or not you need to be on a blood pressure lowering medication. I'm also going to put in screening for heart failure. Y'all, did I tell you I was sick? I'm sick. I'm really annoyed by it because who has time for this? 
This is trash. All right, screening for heart failure. <clears throat> so I put that in, and it comes up. Electrocardiogram, echocardiogram, stress test. What did I say? Yep. So that's how you know. Do a little research. Use the interweb for good. See what tests you need to be asking for. If you have a medical person in your family, like a nurse or a doctor or a nurse practitioner, ask them. Be like, you know what? This runs in the family. What should I be asking for from my doc? And finally, follow-up. Follow-up is probably... One of the most important things in these steps because um, it's where we lose people. In fact, we have something we call loss to follow-up. When we order tests or prescribe medications to people, and we don't see them again. And the number one reason that people get lost to follow-up is they either never make the follow-up appointment or they make it and then they cancel it and don't reschedule it. So I'm going to submit something to you all. Your birthday. You know when your birthday is. You're not going to forget it. It comes every year at the same time and day since the beginning of your life. And every year on your birthday, why don't you schedule an appointment, a checkup with your primary care provider for screening purposes, for an annual wellness exam, and just make sure that everything is still all good. If it was all good before, then it's still all good. If it wasn't all good, let's check it again. You know, last year I got my cholesterol drawn. It was elevated. We had this conversation about drinking less, eating more vegetables, more good fats. Let's check it again and see where things lie. Close the loop. I will tell you guys that your health care providers are very bogged down and we depend on the systems that are in place. Uh, if I had to remember to call people back and remind them to make appointments, that would never happen. So when I check a patient out, I make a recommendation. Do I want to see him back in a week, a month, a year, whatever? And that goes to my schedulers. If I have a medical assistant who is able to schedule an appointment right then and there. We do that. Otherwise, it goes to the scheduler. I have to tell you guys, <clears throat> part of the onus of this appointment being scheduled has to fall on the patient. We can't say, well, nobody ever called me. That's not a good reason to have a heart attack because nobody ever called you to schedule your follow-up for your cholesterol screening. That's not a really, that's not a good reason. It's not good enough. So pick a date a couple times a year. Like for the dentist, <laughs> I pick Halloween and my son's birthday because they're about six months apart. Halloween, I think candy. Candy, I think cavities. So that, I know Halloween, it's time to go to the dentist. My son, is a, his birthday is uh, April twenty which is about six months after, <laughs> you know, Halloween. So that's the way I remember to schedule things and to do things. My birthday, I have to renew all my licenses, um, all of that stuff. You know, let's go in. It's my time of the year. Let's go in and, and get screened or make sure that everything is still looking good, that my blood pressure is good, that my cholesterol is good. You know, screening for diabetes <clears throat> 
<clears throat> it's not a one and done. A sque- screening for cholesterol, for cholesterol or for blood pressure, it's not a one and done. These things are fluid. You can have great cholesterol and then take a job that requires you to commute so you have less time to cook breakfast, less time to pack your lunch, less time to cook dinner. So now you're eating fast food. You're eating convenient food. You're eating out a lot. Your, your cholesterol can absolutely change. When you go back the following year, it might be much higher because of the lifestyle changes that took place. So that's why it's important to not just get these things checked once, but to continue to follow up and make sure that everything is still all good. All right. Uh, so let's let's recap again. Establishing care number one: find you a regular provider, a general practitioner, primary care provider, family practice. Those are some of the terms that you might see. Um, If you don't know where to go, look on the back of your medical insurance card and call the customer service number. They can give you recommendations. If you don't have insurance, you can go to freeclinics.com, put in your zip code or or click on your state and find affordable health care near you. You should also Sign up during open enrollment um, <clears throat> for for uh, health health insurance. Um, ask your friends and your family. Ask your coworkers. Your coworkers are likely to have similar insurance to you, um, and so ask them, "Hey, who do you go to? Because I need I need to find somebody, and they should be able to refer you." to somebody. And if not, then maybe you guys can hold each other accountable and find someone together. Talk to your friends and your family members too. I love taking care of families because guess what? I know what runs in the family. I know a little more about the family dynamics. I like taking care of husbands and wives because, you know, you can get people to be accountability partners, to encourage each other um, to be healthier and to do better. So establishing care is number one. Number two, coming armed with your family medical history. What did your first degree relatives have or what do they have? If two of your siblings are on blood pressure medication, you need to be screened for hypertension. If, you know, your dad and one of your siblings is uh, a diabetic, you're going to want to be screened for for, for diabetes. And guys... I know that your primary care provider should be able to say, well, we're going to check this, 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 and this. I'm telling you this so that you can be armed, so that you can be empowered, so that you can know what to ask for. Remember, last week when when we talked with my mom, you know, my brother took her to the ER and they gave her an inhaler. You know, like she had asthma at 62 but hey, that's what they're working with. Let's rule out anything life-threatening or urgent. You can't breathe. Here's an inhaler. You know? Um, but it was asking for a specific test, which is not fair. I understand that. How are you supposed to know what to ask for? But I'm asking you to do your due diligence. The information is out there. Matter of fact, I'm going to put up on my Instagram um, screening like uh, questions like right so I just learned this I'm learning how to use Instagram how to use the um what's it called the story and put 
a question and answer thing there so that you guys can send me questions and I can straight away answer your questions, okay? Because this is not, <laughs> this is not easy. This is not information that you're just going to have unless you've studied or, or gone to school for that. So um, we want to make sure, you know, those of you who are computer savvy and can, you know, do some searching and say, hey, what are the screening tests for X, Y, Z or how to get screened for blank. Great. Those of you who need a little help, come holler at your girl over on IG. And last is following up. Following up, again, probably one of the hardest things. Um, it feels instinctive to make an appointment when you don't feel well. Making appointments when everything seems fine seems silly. It costs money. A lot of us don't have money to throw away, but it's not money to throw away. It's money that we invest into our health. And, you know, the screenings that should happen um, are different depending on what age we are. Um, those screenings actually start at birth, at well child checks. A lot of times we don't see kids at all unless they have a sports physical. Uh, you know, they can't be on the football team if they don't have a sports physical, so we run and get the sports physical. That's actually supposed to be happening at least every year where you're going in, taking your child, getting the, the physical exam, and there's different things that we talk about at every age and stage, you know. Um, we call it anticipatory guidance. What do you anticipate with someone this age? What are the things that we see with kids this age? If they're 15, 16, we're going to be talking about seatbelt safety and the importance of not texting and driving. You know, if they're seven or eight, we're talking about wearing your helmet when you bike. If they're two or three, we're talking about watching them and staying close to them around bodies of water so they don't jump in and drown once they become you know, uh, pubescent, we might talk about sexual health and, and how to prevent pregnancy. So there's all kinds of stuff that we need to go over with your children at every age and every stage, as well as with you. And that only happens when we follow up. So pick a day on the calendar, um, your family health day, your birthday, whatever the case may be. Like I said, I use Halloween and my son's birthday for the dentist because they're about six months apart. And, you know, I say all this to say we have a role in this. And yes, the chips might be stacked against us. And yes, the healthcare system is a disaster, you know, but at the end of the day, is it worth dying for? I, I don't think so. I'd rather do the work, jump through the hoops, as frustrating as it might be, so that when I wake up, you know, and I got some heartburn, I'm, I, I know who to call. I know who to reach out to. I know what to do rather than to wait until it's an emergency. And I don't know about you guys. I think my emergency room copay is $300. My doctor office copay is like 30. I'd much rather pay $30 to be screened for something than $300 to go in and find out that I've had a heart attack or something like that. 
So as much as the system is broken, as much as it's stacked against us, I don't want us to let confirmation bias prevent us from getting the health care that we need, accessing the screening tests and knowing what's going on with us. Um, confirmation bias basically means like, I'm going to go in here and they're not going to listen to me and they're going to rush me and these people don't care nothing about me. They're going to put me on some some of their drugs or whatever. And, you know, it's all about big pharma and making money. And then you go in and they're in a rush. And the provider's typing on the computer instead of looking at you. So you're thinking that they're they're not paying attention. They are rushing you. They don't, you know, that's confirmation bias. When you think something already prematurely, you're looking for that thing to happen rather than a good outcome. We need to put that aside when it comes to our health. You know, this stuff isn't fun. It is time consuming. It can become expensive, but it's necessary. We want good years. We want good years. We don't want to just live long and be going from appointment to appointment, you know, going to dialysis, going to, you know, this program and that program. We want to we want to live. We want to have good quality of life, not just quantity, but good quality of life. I've talked long enough. Last week's episode was long, so I'm going to leave it right there. You guys meet me on Instagram. Talk to me. Send me your questions. Let's keep this thing going. And until next time, eat fresh and dance. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Purple Stethoscope. I'm your host, Devin Nixon, family nurse practitioner. You can find me on social media at D the NP. That's on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and now Patreon. If you liked what you heard, Go ahead and share this episode and then head over to Patreon to see how you can further support this work.